I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of January 19. In the news, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov blames Armenia for lack of progress in the peace talks. The French Senate adopts resolution condemning Azerbaijan's military offensive in Artsakh, deploring any further attempt at aggression and violation of the territorial integrity of Armenia, and a third non-combat death is registered in one week. Last week, Azerbaijan's President Ilham Aliyev addressed Armenia-Azerbaijan relations, negotiations on the return of enclaves, and the mutual removal of troops from the border shared between the two countries. Talking about this, this week, Pashinyan responded to Aliyev's remarks during uh, the weekend, uh, talking to his fellow party members in the town of Gavar in Armenia's Gagarkunik region. Yeah, and last week, you know, Rubina, you weren't here, and uh, I spoke about what Aliyev had said, and some of the the thoughts coming out of his head were quite uh, interesting. He was saying that the route that Armenia is proposing is absolutely useless and that the only route that they want is through Meghri. And if Armenia didn't comply with their demands, that he would keep Armenia in an eternal deadlock. And he was just completely adamant in only seeing their position. Uh, well, during that meeting with his uh, party members in Gavar, Prime Minister Pashinyan described the statements coming from Baku as a serious blow to the peace process, adding that Aliyev's remarks contradict agreements reached during negotiations. According to Pashinyan, it seems that Aliyev is posing territorial claims to Armenia, which he called unacceptable. Pashinyan also noted that the demarcation and delimitation of the Armenia-Azerbaijan border must be based on the 1991 Alma-Ata Treaty, thus there is no need to redefine the border. He said the process of border demarcation is not about creating a border. The delimitation commissions should go not to create a border, but to re-express, reproduce the borders that existed at the time of the adoption of the Alma-Ata Declaration. This is back in 1991. Commenting on Aliyev's demand for the so-called Zanke-Zur Corridor, Pashinyan said that Armenia is willing to provide passage for Azerbaijan to its exclave of Nakhichevan under the same terms and conditions that Iran does. He called Aliyev's demands of unimpeded passage through the territory of Armenia as claims against Armenian sovereign territory. And it was interesting, Aliyev was saying, it, we have to go from Azerbaijan to Azerbaijan. So Armenia should have no control over its own sovereign territory. Well, this is a subject that a lot of people talked about this week. Well, uh, the Russian Foreign Ministry, European right. Union kind of discussed Aliyev's uh, announcements. Well, back to Pashinyan. Pashinyan said that Aliyev is justifying his territorial claims, basing them on the November 9 trilateral statement. According to Armenia's prime minister, the other two parties to the statement, Baku and Moscow, have shown their uh, with their actions in Artsakh from the moment the statement was signed until September 2023 that the document no longer exists. And this document was kind of really unclear from the very beginning to to start with, not... Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have to wait until September 2023 mm-hmm. to un- understand that. Well, countering Aliyev's comments about uh, th- these four so-called occupied villages by Armenia and the four enclaves. Pashinyan said that Armenia is raising the issue of infrastructure. This includes, you know, roads, water sources, pastures, servicing 32 villages in Armenia that are under Azerbaijani occupation. Let me make clear, these villages are not under occupation. It's sort of the infrastructure around them. And this took place, as we know, uh, during uh, Azerbaijan's incursions and aggressions in 2021. And then the large one in Jermug in September of 2022.
According to Pashinyan, there should be no occupied territories between Armenia and Azerbaijan and enclaves and occupied territories should be returned. But it is practically impossible to implement this without a mutually agreed upon map because how can we determine whether this territory is in the territory of Armenia or Azerbaijan, he said. One way to do this is to rely politically on the, again, mm-hmm. 1991 Alma-Ata declaration. Yeah, he, kept, he kept talking about that. Pashinyan also countered criticisms coming from Baku regarding Armenia's acquisition of arms from France and India, asserting that every country has the right to have an army. He went on to note that in order to dispel the concerns of the parties, it is necessary to sign a peace agreement that will prevent the possibility of war. He also suggested that Baku and Yerevan sign an arms control agreement. This is the first time that we're hearing this from Pashinyan. And hopefully there will be some explanations as mm-hmm. to what Armenia envisages, uh, imagines when mm-hmm. we say an arms control agreement. And also the question will arise brokered by whom? Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Pashinyan also said that sometimes when we get acquainted with Azerbaijan's proposals, we get the impression that an attempt is being made to create a document that will be used to legitimize future wars. This is beyond my logic, he said. During a government Q&A session in parliament, and this was on January 17, Pashinyan also said that he hoped that the purpose of the statements coming from Baku was not to deliberately bring the peace process to a deadlock. He admitted that Armenia and Azerbaijan are now talking different diplomatic languages. And more on the Armenia-Azerbaijan peace uh, negotiations. This week, Armenia's Deputy Prime Minister, Merkir Gorian, who is the head of the Armenian Border Demarcation and Delimitation Committee, told Azadutun that at the end of January, the Armenian and Azerbaijani border commissions will try to define documents and legal acts to be used for the demarcation process, as well as identify Soviet-era maps, which can serve as a legal basis and which can be used for the process. Grigorian also stated that a date and time for the meeting has not been agreed upon um, yet. The border commissions last met on November 30 on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border, and to date they have had five meetings. On January 16, the European Council adopted the decision to enlarge the EU mission Armenia. This is EUMA. According to the decision, the EUMA budget for the period from January 23, 2023 until February 19, 2025 shall be over 39 million euros. In November 2023, the foreign ministers of EU had decided already to increase the number of mission members from 138 to 209. Yesterday, a U.S. ambassador Ambassador to Armenia, Kristina Kavien, hosted Defense Minister Surem Babikyan to discuss shared priorities and deepening cooperation in defense. The United States deeply values its long-standing partnership with Armenia, including robust defense cooperation and peacekeeping operations, military education, and through the partnership with the Kansas National Guard as part of the Department of Defense's state partnership program, Kavien said. Uh, issues concerning regional security were also discussed during that meeting. And on January 17, the French Senate adopted a resolution condemning Azerbaijan's military offensive in Nagorno-Karabakh and preventing any attempt at aggression and violation of the territorial integrity of Armenia. The French Senate said that the forced exodus of Artsakh's ethnic Armenian population caused by the Azerbaijani offensive amounted to ethnic cleansing. It reaffirmed support for uh, the Nagorno-Karabakh Armenians' right to self-determination, saying that is the only possible path towards lasting peace between Azerbaijan and Armenia had also called on the international community to demand Baku guarantee the safe return of the refugees from Harapakh to their homeland.
The Senate went on to deplore what it described as Azerbaijani territorial claims to Armenia and in particular Baku's demands for an extraterritorial corridor to the Nakhichevan exclave. It demanded the immediate and unconditional withdrawal of Azerbaijani troops from the Armenian border area seized after the 2020 war in Artsakh. The resolution also called on the French government as well as the European Union to consider imposing sanctions such as the seizure of Azerbaijani leaders' assets and an embargo on gas and oil imports from Azerbaijan. The resolution was passed with 336 votes for and one against. It is a non-binding resolution. Meanwhile, as expected, Rubina, uh, the Azerbaijani parliament's, uh, well, Baku's reaction was very swift. Uh, The Azerbaijani parliament's foreign relations committee strongly condemned the resolution. In a statement, it urged the Azerbaijani government to cut economic ties with France and expel all French companies from Azerbaijan. And uh, speaking to Armen Press, the European Commission's lead spokesperson for foreign affairs and security policy, Peter Stano, said that the EU has been passing clear messages to Azerbaijan that any violation of Armenia's territorial integrity would be unacceptable and will have severe consequences for EU-Azeri relations. And more on diplomacy, EU Special Representative to the South Caucasus, Toivo Klar, is in Armenia holding meetings with Armenian officials. Klar is not planning to travel to Baku because... The country is uh, preoccupied with uh, election campaigns, and we'll talk a bit about that at the end. And NATO Deputy Assistant Secretary General and Special Representative for the Caucasus and Central Asia, Javier Kolomina, is also in Armenia. He met with Armenia's Prime Minister Nigol Pashinyan, discussed the security situation in the region as well as Armenia-Azerbaijan relations and the peace process. The sides expressed concern regarding Aliyev's recent statement, which contradicts the negotiations logic and contribute to rising tensions in the region. Kolomina also met with Defense Minister Suren Papikian. And this week, U.S. Coordinator on Global Anti-Corruption, Richard Nephew, was in Armenia. During his visit, he met with government officials and civil society representatives to discuss ongoing anti-corruption efforts and identify areas for further cooperation. Uh, Nephew underscored uh, U.S. commitment to supporting Armenia's effort to advance reforms aimed at combating corruption and strengthening the rule of law. Security Council Secretary Armen Grigorian and President Vahagan Khachatryan are participating in the annual meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Meanwhile, Foreign Minister Admir Zoyan is in Croatia on an official visit. And now to Armenia-Russia relations. This week, Armenian officials announced that Yerevan received the first delivery of weapons purchased from Moscow after the 2020 Artsakh war. After the September 2022 Azerbaijani offensive against Armenia, Prime Minister Pashinyan announced that Russia had failed to supply weapons worth 400 million U.S. dollars to Armenia. And last week, Andrani Kocharyan, the chair of the Parliamentary Standing Committee on Defense and Security, told uh, Armenia's public TV that Russians are supplying something, but not on a scale anticipated by Armenia in line with the volume of the signed contracts. Um, I'm assuming Sakharova will not be saying (laughs) that these are in any way faulty or this will really protect Armenia, these ones, not the French ones. I'm sorry to disappoint you today, Rubina. I don't think we have anything from Maria Sakharova. Because Lavrov stole the show this week. He did, he did. He stole the limelight. And yesterday, speaking of Lavrov, Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, gave an extensive press conference summing up Russia's diplomatic year uh, for 2023. He also spoke about Armenia-Russia relations as well as Armenia-Azerbaijan negotiations. 
Well, since the arrival of the European observers on the Armenia-Azerbaijan border, Moscow has been accusing Armenia of trying to oust Russia out of the region. During the press conference, Lavrov announced that Moscow has not heard any objections from Yerevan to Western statements about the need to remove Russia from the region. He also accused the uh, EUMA of trying to gather information on the activities of Russian border guards in Armenia. He added that Moscow has discussed the issue uh, with Armenia. And if the EUMA really needed information on the Russian border guards, I don't think they needed to spend millions and have more than 200 people on the ground yeah. to do that. And we've all had our run-ins with Russian border guards at the Zvartnots airport. I recently we? had one that last week when I uh, arrived to Armenia, Maria. I must say, as an Armenian citizen, it is very heartbreaking to... I would say insulting. Insulting. Yeah. And with the attitude, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that they're trying... It, they're almost... I, I'm, I'm sorry snooty. to say this during a Week in Review kind <laughs> of podcast, but almost trying to be nasty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the attitude, there's like no hello, no nothing. Yeah, I almost, you know what I, I regret not having done? When the girl said, please approach this one, I should have asked if there was an Armenian yeah. uh, passport controller to approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And whoever has experienced it, uh, I think, can commiserate. Well, uh, coming back to Lavrov, he accused the West, namely the EU and the US, of promoting their own interests in the region instead of trying to find agreements between the conflicting countries. Lavrov said that the West does not want to allow the implementation of the trilateral agreements reached between Moscow, Baku and Yerevan following the war in 2020. According to him, the EU and the US want to organize the delimitation of the border between Armenia and Azerbaijan on their own terms, bypassing Russia. Well, according to Lavrov, when Armenia and Azerbaijan agreed to create a border commission on demarcation and delimitation, Russia was supposed to participate as a consultant. However, Russia is not present at the meetings. Lavrov added that Charles Michel has announced that the EU will deal with the delimitation of the Armenia-Azerbaijan border, despite the fact that neither the EU nor the US have the necessary maps, but Russia does. Speaking about the so-called Zankezur corridor, Lavrov said that there is no alternative to opening communications. I'm, just, you know, we say this every week. Okay, no, let's say it again. No alternative to opening communications between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Adding that the parameters of the route linking mainland Azerbaijan to Nakhichevan are enshrined in the tripartite agreements. He added that there uh, never was any talk about the Zankezur corridors. So. This is interesting. And he added in the statement, it was said that all economic and transport connections should be unblocked. And further, that Armenia guarantees the security of transport links between the western regions of Azerbaijan and Nakhichevan in both directions. But control over this transport communication is carried out by the border service of the Russian FSB. So he's basically saying that, yes, there should be a road. Um, Armenia has to guarantee the safety, but we will be controlling the road. He also added that Pashinyan's suggestion to offer Azerbaijan the same terms of transit that Iran does is illogical, uh, questioning whether it is even possible to compare those routes. Lavrov blamed Armenia for the lack of progress in the Russia-mediated talks between Armenia and Azerbaijan because Armenia is following the advice of the West. He added that Azerbaijan is ready to sign a peace treaty with Armenia on the territory of Russia, but Yerevan's position 
remains unclear. He said that following the 2020 war, the normalization process between the two countries was initiated in Russia. Agreements were reached, mechanisms of unblocking regional communications were created, but when those agreements were beginning to show results, the EU and the West uh, intervened and spoiled the process. On January 18, Mikhail Galujin, one of Lavrov's deputies, urged Yerevan to agree to resume Russian-mediated negotiations with Baku during a meeting with Armenia's ambassador to Russia, Varashak Harutunian. And this week, Human Rights Watch published its 2024 World uh, Report for Armenia. It said that the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict and the eventual influx into Armenia of more than 100,000 ethnic Armenians who fled the Azerbaijani enclave dominated events in the country in 2023. We are well aware of this right. one. Well, yes. according to Human Rights Watch, while constitutional reforms stalled, uh, authorities continued to pursue sectoral reforms with respect to the judiciary, police, disability rights, and education. Human rights groups raised concerns over the efficacy of judicial reforms and impartiality of the accountability process uh, for judges suspected of alleged infractions. They also criticized the lack of comprehensive police reforms. Areas of continuing human rights concerns include ill-treatment of detainees by law enforcement, domestic violence, discrimination against people with disabilities, and violence and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, and I would encourage people to read uh, what Human Rights Watch had to say about Azerbaijan. And in local news, on January 13, an Armenian uh, contract serviceman was lost when he was returning from a combat position to the barracks in uh, very bad conditions, weather conditions. The next day, his body was found in a nearby gorge covered in snow. The soldier apparently had uh, been caught under an avalanche. Criminal inve investigation has been launched. This is the third non-combat death in as many days. Last week, we reported about two non-combat deaths. One serviceman was shot by a fellow soldier following an argument, and uh, the other one is being investigated as a suicide. Well, Defense Minister Suren Babikian said that the circumstances into this recent death will be clarified after the investigation has been completed. He added that following the 2020 Artsakh war, Armenia has new military positions which are hard to reach even during summer. According to Babikian, there isn't a clear understanding yet which routes to combat positions may pose a danger, which is something that should... I yeah, have a hard I, time hearing from a defense minister <laughs> saying we're not really sure which is the best route to our own combat positions. He also said that there had been a written order by the command of the combat position not to conduct any moves to or from the position due to bad weather yeah, conditions. Yeah, but what happens is that these uh, young men that are at these posts freezing, they can't get back to their barracks because they don't know the routes yet. I mean, it's, it's just mind-boggling. I understand the terrain is very difficult. It's mountainous, and I understand we're in the, you know, in the middle of a winter. But, you know, already we're not even at the end of January, and we're, we've already registered three uh, non-combat deaths. And, you know, every year, over 70 non-combat deaths take place in the Armenian Armed Forces. Um, this year, there's a report that's coming out uh, soon. We heard that it's going to be about 83 for 2023. It's just unacceptable. It's unacceptable. You know, I've been talking to a number of people who have served in the military, um, you know, young men in their late 20s, early 30s. And, you know, one of them was saying the other day that the army is like a microcosm of Armenian society. There's so much toxicity and and just absolute um, lack of discipline or 
too much discipline and hazing and bullying, and which is leading to suicide, which is leading to young men having an argument over using a particular swear word. For a country that lost over 4,000 men, you know, three years ago, to keep having this. And, you know, today, ironically, is the one-year anniversary of the deadliest non-combat incident in the history of Armenia's armed forces when um, a military barracks caught on fire and 15 soldiers were killed uh, in that fire. And the circumstances are, have not been fully yeah, cleared yet, ongoing, either yeah. ongoing investigation. Well, and this week, Armenia's parliament adopted a bill on pardoning all men aged 27 until th- uh, 37 who have avoided military service. Instead of serving a five-year prison sentence, the, these men can either serve in the army two and a half years instead of two, pay 15 million drums, this is approximately $37,000, and not serve at all. Men who have avoided military service can also pay two and a half million drums, $6,000, and serve 12 months or pay 5 million drums. This is $12,000 and serves six months. According to civil contract member Haik Sarksyan, who authored the bill, over 5,000 Armenian men aged 27 and above are currently under criminal prosecution for avoiding military service. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about this, $37,000 to not serve. I know many countries uh, have uh, this, um, you know, this process in place, but for a country like Armenia, almost $40,000 not to serve, um, and it's going to be a poor man's army. Um, well, most of these men, the 5,000 that we're talking about, are currently not in Armenia. Right. They either left the country altogether, they left the country, they're not here, or they would be arrested or apprehended. Mm-hmm. They're unable to return for any reason, including the death of a loved one yeah, or any mm-hmm. inheritance. So uh, it is kind of a way to return them. Mm-hmm. Maybe I keep trying to because there's so much discussion of like, oh, instead of paying a bribe, uh, they're going to pay to the now the government the is budget. taking the state budget. But no, these men have already been lost. Mm-hmm. These men are not here. Uh, they've already dished military service. Right. And, you know, we were having this conversation today with somebody in the office. Right. And we were and whose son had just returned after his mandatory two year service and who had said that, you know, he would have ideally liked to have stayed. Uh, in the armed forces, but the conditions, and it's not about, you know, bad food or or poor weather conditions. The entire environment, the atmosphere in the army isn't conducive to keeping people within its services. And this is something that, you know, the, the armed forces, the Ministry of Defense, three years, well, now almost three and a half years after the start of the 2020 Artsakh war, and we're still struggling with this. Is is um, We're struggling with non-combat yeah. deaths. Yeah, we're absolutely. struggling with finding out which are the best routes to our military positions yeah. on the border. So, uh, you know, we've been really patient with a lot of the... We have. We have uh-huh. And... Uh, it's time to get really angry. It, it is sometimes time to get really angry because we do not have time to waste here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't care how much better the food is. Yeah. Uh, if people are dying in the military because of lack of control, mm-hmm. uh, lack of discipline, or in any way oversight mm-hmm. over these boys, because mm-hmm. they are a lot of the time just boys. They are just 18-year-olds, right? Wow. And uh, on January 16, uh, the Fact Investigation Platform reported that Artsakh's former interior minister, Garen Sarksyan, had appropriated 20 vehicles belonging to the ministry. Army's Prosecutor General
General's Office is investigating the report and will launch a criminal investigation if needed. Well, according to the report before the exodus of Artsakh Armenian's interior, Minister Sarkisian registered the vehicles under the names of people close to him, gave those vehicles transit license numbers, transported them to Armenia, and hid them on a property belonging to him. I mean... Does it require any commentary? A lot, but sometimes silence is. The, I mean, I, well, war is a time is it, for is, people to profit. Oh, Those sure. who are going to profit anyway, it's an easy window of uh, you know, opportunity. Opportunity. Yeah. Well, this week during the cabinet meeting, the Armenian government accepted the 12.5% stake in the controversial Amulsar mine. The Armenian government and Lydian had come to the agreement in February of 2023. The mining company gave a stake to the Armenian government in return for its pledge to manage their risks. Lydian is a long story. Remember, Maria, when mm-hmm. we didn't have many other problems, issues, yeah, and we were watching hours and hours of a live consultation between Pashinyan and some Lebanese, uh, I think, company and Lydian to understand how to mitigate all this. Um, uh, do you risks. remember the GMO story we did? And we thought that was like the end yeah. of it. Uh, yeah, well. I wish we were back to those days. And this week, Armenia's police chief, uh, Aram Hovanisian, said during a press conference, uh, we're just full of good news this week. Uh, that road accident. Did I say that? <laughs> that road accidents in the country had increased. Uh, in 2023, there were 4,368 accidents registered, which resulted in the death of 362 people and 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 uh, caused 6200 injuries 362 people died in 2023 in car accidents i'm just going to let that number sink in now compared to 2022 the number has increased by 258 the number of accidents and the number of deaths by 52 and the number of injured by 340 well, not to end on this uh, this piece of news, Maria, uh, just the thing that Pashinyan said today that apparently uh, a new constitution should become a topic for discussion in Armenia. This is what Prime Minister Igor Pashinyan said today. He also said that Armenia does not need constitutional reforms, but an entirely new constitution. He also said that there is no need to change the government system. If Armenia is pursuing the, is on the path for of democracy, then a parliamentary system is a suitable uh, system yeah, for that. And just to be clear, we don't know what he means by an entirely new constitution, uh, but there has been a lot of discussion in the country that we will be going to some uh, constitutional reforms, but now he's talking about an entirely new one. And, you know, we were talking again earlier that every five years the constitution is amended, yeah. and the last one we remember was in 2015. 15, yes. Yeah, I was an observer during that one. Yeah, I know yeah. you had a good time, didn't you? I did. <laughs> Well, it's been um, it's been a tough week, uh, obviously, with um, so many unpredictable and um, so many things on the horizon that we're having difficulty trying to to piece together and understand uh, what's happening. Um, Russia's coming out very strong. Um, their positions in the conflict with Ukraine are changing. Um, Aliyev is becoming more and more intransigent. 
Zangez uh, Corridor is back on discussion, uh, yeah. which had kind of been silent. Mm-hmm. This this term hadn't been used a lot in, in the last six months. At yeah, least. they had switched to Western Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan, and now they're it's back on the it's back on the agenda. It seems, and then um, of course the non as I said the non combat debts and. So it's it's uh, we've been trying uh, to make sense of all of it as the year has started. Maria, can I say I have a lot of respect for people who uh, listen to our podcasts because, <laughs> you know, I missed the news for one week. I was on vacation. I was determined Finally, not. Uh, yes, <laughs> I was determined not to follow, not to be online for just a piece of. In- mind and some quiet uh for and space for other thoughts other than this all devastating news it was lovely <laughs> and uh it made me appreciate all our listeners much more because you yeah, know we never listen. we never say anything nice almost never good news uh recently at least well uh and people listen thank you everyone for listening really yes indeed and um check out our website we did uh publish some interesting articles um one from marut vanyan who a journalist from artsakh who himself was displaced he wrote a piece called we're home and yet we're not and just sort of highlighting and because you know in our daily lives we we just keep you know we come to work we do what we do we go out um but the people from artsakh the 100,000 uh, refugees right now in armenia continue to struggle um, we did a piece about Azerbaijan and the non-aligned movement um, and how it's using every diplomatic platform it can to push its agenda. Um, we have elections this year in Azerbaijan, in the EU, in the US, and we published a piece on how those elections in uh, the West, in the EU and the US could test Armenia's resilience. And but early votes were already organized in Stepanagert. You were watching the video. That was just the Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan yeah, yes. yeah. Because there's elections there. But, you know, there's also positive news. Let's let's call it positive. Um, you know, we have a great piece by Matthew Zane about digital nomads and how Armenia should implement a digital nomad visa and how that could change... Um, who is speaking from experience because yes, he's he is Syrian. A digital <laughs> yeah. He is uh, from Syria, mm-hmm. uh, lives in Armenia, yes, and has been here for a while. So with his whole family, mm. and uh, he's speaking from experience. Indeed. And also, Arev's Brezhnev after Brezhnev Part Two came out this week, mm-hmm. which was something uh, we were waiting for after yeah. Part One because it's such an interesting story from an interesting perspective. And we have Part Three coming up. In That's the, right. We have soon. Maria Gunko's uh, Outside In series coming up. We have some new columns coming up, which will keep under wraps for the moment. And next week, you can look for articles from Dikran Yakavian. Uh, he's a journalist and a political scientist from Paris. Um, he's written a piece on the geopolitical outlook for 2024 and a and a really beautiful photo story from a photojournalist Ani Gevorkian about women who gave birth. This is three the story of three different women who gave birth during during the uh, blockade in Artsakh mm-hmm. and their uh, concerns and their fears. Uh, and where they live and how they live now. Uh, yeah, some some really beautiful uh, photos yes, there. Yes, there were. Yeah, indeed. Well, thank you for listening. Have a safe and peaceful weekend. We will be back like we always are next Friday. Mm-hmm.